You can save every day by shopping at Whole Foods Market. Seriously, don't just go for the big sales. They have literally thousands of low-priced goods with their house brand, 365 by Whole Foods Market, while at happy prices, limited-time seasonal flavors, and all the quality you expect, like no high-fructose corn syrup or over 300 other ingredients banned from all the food they sell. There's so many ways to save at Whole Foods Market. Now you know. Hey, Fidelity. What's it cost to invest with the Fidelity app? Start with as little as $1 with no account fees or trade commissions on U.S. stocks and ETFs. Hmm, that's music to my ears. I can only talk. Investing involves risk, including risk of loss. Zero account fees apply to retail brokerage accounts only. Sell order assessment fee not included. A limited number of ETFs are subject to a transaction-based service fee of $100. See full list at fidelity.com slash commissions. Fidelity Brokerage Services, LLC, member NYSE, SIPC. Hey, everyone, and welcome to the Money Girl podcast. My name is Laura Adams. I'm a personal finance expert and award-winning author of multiple books, including Money Girl Smart Moves to Grow Rich. On this show, I help you master your money so you can live rich and love the journey. My goal is to bring you a financial topic in plain English each week that introduces you to something new or perhaps expands what you already know. I'm really glad to be back. Over Thanksgiving last week, my husband and I had a terrific time surfing in Costa Rica. Hurricane Otto made landfall to the north of us, so we only had about one day of stormy weather. We've been to Costa Rica several times, and we always see so much beautiful wildlife. We saw sloths, capuchin monkeys, toucans, crocodiles, lots of beautiful birds. And of course, we ate amazing food and had some of the best coffee. So I recommend putting Costa Rica on your bucket list if you haven't been there. Today's topic is about trusts. This is episode number 475 called, What is a Trust and Who Needs One? If you're like many people, you've probably heard of trusts, but maybe you really don't know what they are or who needs one. And I'm going to tell you that not everyone needs a trust, but I want you to keep listening because everyone does need to have a plan for what will happen to what you own after you die or you become incapacitated and can't make decisions for yourself, especially if you have a partner, spouse, or children. So we're going to cover what you need to do even if you don't need a trust. So in a nutshell, a trust is a fiduciary relationship where the creator or trustor gives another party called the trustee the right to own and manage assets for the benefit of a third party, the beneficiary. So when you set up a trust, you create the rules on how it will operate and when the beneficiary can have access to the assets held in the trust. And you can even appoint yourself as the trustee and have multiple beneficiaries like family members or even charities. If a trust is revocable, that means you can change the rules at any time. But if it's irrevocable, you can't. I know, this is a pretty complex topic, so to help break it down with simple language and examples, I interviewed an expert attorney named Jules Haas. He's in New York, and he's got more than 30 years of experience in matters that include trusts, estate planning, estate litigation, probate, guardianship, real estate, and a lot more. And I know that thinking about death and what may happen to your loved ones after you're gone is a really heavy issue, but I think you'll take away some important information from our conversation. Here's what we cover, the difference between a will and a trust, and are they just for wealthy people, common estate planning mistakes you should avoid, 
special considerations for couples who are not married, the types of trusts that average people like you and me can benefit from the most, key legal documents that every adult should have. We also talk about when an account beneficiary actually supersedes information in a will and how to find a great estate planning attorney if you need one. Okay, here's my conversation with attorney Jules Haas. Jules, thanks so much for joining me on the Money Girl podcast. You're very welcome, and it's a pleasure to uh, to speak with you this this evening and be able to um, convey my information to your audience. Yeah, tell us a little bit about how long you have been an attorney and how long you've been working with folks with estate planning. I've been um, admitted to the New York State Bar and practicing attorney uh, since 1979. So it seems like many years, but in, in some ways it seems like uh, yesterday because every day is, is sort of a, of a new adventure. And I've been representing clients pretty much during the, cor- the entire course of that time in matters relating to trust and estates and wills and probate and um, guardianship uh, and some real estate uh, matters as well. And uh, my office is here in uh, New York City. Um, I represent clients throughout uh, New York State. And, um, you know, my clients, you know, depending on the type of matter, can basically be from, you know, all over the United States or other countries, depending upon what the issues are and how it might relate to New York State. Got it. So what I find is a lot of people are very confused about trusts. They're very confused about what they are, who needs them, why you need it. Can you give us a very simple explanation of what a trust is? Okay. So I'll try to do this as simply as possible, although the variations on the theme um, may get a bit complex. So in order to understand what a trust is, and again, um, I think I should preface what I have to say uh, in that uh, specific, the specific type of law that I can refer to as New York law, but the general uh, explanation that I'm going to give is uh, is pretty much applicable throughout the country, although if you are in a state other than New York, obviously you've got to consult with a local attorney to see what the specific rules are that may affect a trust or a will that you may be dealing with. So the first step in understanding uh, a trust is to really talk about a will. And what is a will? A will is a testamentary document, so it speaks when you die. And it basically disposes of assets that you own when you die. And the reason that I start with... uh, a brief statement as to what a will is, is because there are different, many different types of trusts. But if you're going to sort of simply divide trust into two types of categories, there are what we call testamentary trusts and uh, non-testamentary trusts. So a testamentary trust is going to be a trust that you create inside your will. So, for instance, you can write a will and say, I leave a million dollars in trust to my trustees for the following purposes, to take care of my kids, to take care, you know, to make distributions to a charity, um, all sorts of things. So that's a trust that you create in your will 
and it's created at the time that you're, after you die when your will becomes effective. A non-testamentary trust is a trust that you create while you're alive. And those can be, again, many different types of trusts. And the most common type of trust that most people will sort of recognize um, is what's referred to in, in many places as either a living trust or a grantor trust or a revocable trust. And this is a type of trust that people create where you see all these advertisements and people talking about, you know, prepare a living trust or a revocable trust to avoid probate. And so what happens with those types of trusts is that you create a trust that's got testament, you know, living provisions for the person that creates it and also um, uh, provisions that take effect when the person passes away. So it has testamentary provisions as well. But it's created during a person's lifetime. And there are many different types of trust that you can create both in your will and outside of your will. Uh, and these trusts can run the gamut of uh, sup what we call here in New York a supplemental needs trust, which is a trust that you create uh, to put money aside for somebody who uh, is basically doesn't have capacity to handle their own assets and uh, is receiving governmental benefits. Uh, there are irrevocable trusts that are used sometime in connection with uh, Medicaid planning. Uh, so there are many different forms and reasons for trust, you know, charitable trust, all, all sorts of things. But they pretty much fall into those two categories. And then the variations as to what you're using a trust for and the purpose of a trust uh, can vary greatly. You know, testamentary trusts can also be used for state planning, uh, taking advantage of various uh, estate tax credits. So there, there are just innumerable ways that trusts can be used and what you have to sort of decide is what is what is your purpose, what are you trying to do, and then figure out the best way to accomplish your goal. Jules, let's say I am a pretty average person. Let's say I have a family, I own a home, I have a job, and I'm middle income. What would be the purpose or the reason for me to have a trust? What would be the big benefit for me? I think a lot of people assume that you have to be super wealthy to benefit from a trust. Is that the case? That's not the case. And I'm going to use two examples that relate to the explanation I had just given. If your desire is to avoid probate and certain other aspects to a living trust or a revocable trust. You might want to create a revocable trust now, and you create this trust, and for this trust to be effective, you basically have to currently transfer all of your assets into the trust. So when a person dies, you don't have to probate your will. In most cases, for the situation that you just described. And again, this is sort of a personal view of mine. Um, you don't really need to create a revocable trust. There are places in the in the country where revocable trusts and living trusts are much more popular than than in other places. Here in New York they serve a purpose and they're they're used a lot. I think out on the West Coast they're more routinely used. But a person who is um, who has a young family and they're you know not super wealthy but they're doing okay, 
you know, it would seem that if they do a will, because unless they feel that there's going to be a will contest or some other issues with probating their will, um, it most probably will be a rather, I don't want to say simple, but fairly straightforward process to probate a will and have an estate administered, right? Setting up a living trust um, is much more complicated at the beginning because, number one, it's more expensive because you're doing a trust plus you're doing a will that has to go along with it in any event. And you have to transfer all of your assets into the trust. So let's say you own a house. You're going to have to retitle that house into the name of the trust. You're going to take all of your bank accounts and retitle them into the name of the trust. And for most people, they don't want to live their life out of a trust because it just doesn't really um, make sense to them. So what would be more applicable in that situation would be to create a will and then inside of the will to create a little trust in case the pair, both parents are deceased and the money ended up having to go down to kids who were still minors. And then that trust would be there with named trustees to administer that property in the event that both parents are deceased. So in the typical case, sort of garden variety, you'd write wills for a husband and wife and they would each mirror each other and they would say something like, I leave everything to my husband, I leave everything to my wife. And if they're not alive, then it goes to my trustees or goes to my kids. But if my kids are under 21, it's going to my trustees into this trust and then the trustees can administer the property until the child becomes and you can pick the age and they can get distributions and, you know, ultimately when they hit age, you know, 24 or 25 or whatever you decide, the money is paid out to them. So it provides a, a means uh, for administering that money if both parents are uh, no longer around and the money needs to be held for kids who are underage. So I'd say in those situations, those are sort of two possible avenues of uh, utilizing trusts, um, both of which you know, may make sense depending on the situation. Give us an idea of what could be at risk if we are in that situation that you mentioned, two parents die at the same time and they're left with, you know, leaving a couple kids with a will that does have to go through probate. What are the kind of problems that could arise? The, the real answer is the, or the bigger problem is that if you don't have a will, because if you don't have a will, uh, then your estate is going to be controlled by the laws of what we call intestacy of the, of the state where, where you live. And the selection of the persons who will administer your estate will then be controlled by the state statutes. And when you have minor children, it may present a problem as to who's going to administer the estate because they can't do that. And so you may then have um, another family member that you don't like or somebody else being the administrator of the estate and then the monies that are going to pass to them uh, would have to be held in, in a at least here in New York, in a guardianship account, which probably would be the same in most places that would be under the joint supervision of the court. Whereas if you do a will, uh, you can designate who your successor executors would be who your trustees would be, give directions as to, you know, how the trust is supposed to be administered. And so you really avoid a lot of uncertainty and risk by actually doing a will. Um, you know, as long as you pick persons who you can 
trust, and that's why they're called trustees and executors to handle things if you're not around, um, then uh, you can basically have your intentions carried out and sort of control how the assets and the estate is going to be administered for the kids to some extent as opposed to not doing anything at all. So I don't think there are any great risks in doing it. I think the great risk is in not doing it. Um, obviously, there are always risks if you're not around and you're naming someone to act as a trustee or handle money for your kids. I mean, I've seen many cases and been in court in many cases where persons have left money under the control of a trustee who ends up not being that friendly towards the kids or acting in a way that the kids, uh, the children really uh, would prefer because the children may say, well, you know, I need money for uh, this or that, and the trustee disagrees, and the trustee won't pay for certain things or uh, provide the children with uh, sufficient assets that the child may feel that they need. And depending on how long the money is held in trust, you may have adult children whose lives and, and assets are still being controlled by trustees with whom they don't have a good relationship. So you really have to understand the dynamics of what this is and how much control you want to put on your children or anyone else that money is going to be held in trust for going out. There may be reasons for it because you may know a child is a spendthrift or a child doesn't have uh, the wherewithal or they may just waste the money. But you have to make these decisions as a parent or as somebody else that you're uh, trying to benefit as to what the best thing would be because you can't intercede anymore. You know, once you're gone, you can't come back and say, listen, you're making the wrong decision. You know, I really would like you to spend, you know, $50,000 for uh, my child to go to Europe and learn how to sing opera or whatever it may be. But the person who's a trustee may not want to do that. So those are one of the many problems you can run into. Feel the pulse of the city. Feel the beat of the drum. Feel the bass blow your hair. In Las Vegas, live music delivers much more than sound. It's where music comes alive. With artists like Megan Thee Stallion, Maroon 5, Carrie Underwood, Shania Twain, Babyface, Lionel Richie, and many more. Every show is a playground for your senses. See the full summer lineup at visitlasvegas.com. Hey, go-getters, let Noon Sport Hydration Tablets power up your fun and keep you ready to move. Simply drop, dissolve, and enjoy crisp and refreshing flavors like strawberry lemonade or lemon lime. With five essential electrolytes and crafted with clean, non-GMO, vegan, and gluten-free ingredients, Noon should be your go-to hydration choice. Because when you're hydrated, you can do more, go further, and recover quicker. Shop now on NoonLife.com and get ready for endless fun. Because anything can happen after Noon. Money Girl is sponsored by Claritin. If you're like me, the spring is pretty rough on allergies. Sometimes you just don't even want to go outside. But luckily for those that live with the symptoms of allergies, you can live Claritin clear with Claritin D. It's designed for serious allergy sufferers. Claritin D has two powerful ingredients in one pill that relieve your symptoms and decongest your nose so you can breathe better. It's a double action combination of prescription strength allergy medicine 
and the best decongestant available. It relieves sneezing, a runny nose, itchy, watery eyes, an itchy nose and throat, sinus congestion, and pressure with ease. Claritin D starts working fast, like as little as 30 minutes, and it's non-drowsy relief, so you still make the most of the day. If you're ready to live life as if you don't have allergies, it's time to live Claritin clear. Fast and powerful relief is just a quick trip away. You can find Claritin D at the pharmacy counter. You want to ask for Claritin D at your local pharmacy counter. You don't even need a prescription. Go to Claritin.com right now for a discount so you can live Claritin clear. Use as directed. Are there any special considerations for a couple who isn't married, uh, whether they have kids or not? Uh, there are, because if you're not married and you don't have a will, then your assets are going to be controlled by the laws of intestacy of the of the state. So, for instance, here in New York, if you do not have a will, your assets, your estate, is going to go to your closest next of kin in order of priority. So that's going to be a spouse and children, then parents, then brothers, sisters, nieces, nephews, etc. So let's say that the person in our example, you know, is an older person. Uh, they've got a really great friend that they either live with or certainly uh, spend a lot of time with. Um, but for whatever reason, they are not married. And the person never writes a will. Even though the person, if you ask them, what would be your desire if you die? Who do you want your estate to go to? They would say, well, my best friend, you know, whoever. But they don't do a will. When they die, their assets are going to go to their next of kin and not, not to the friend. The friend will have no right to come along and say, well, look, you know, my friend really wanted me to have everything. But the fact of the matter is that the friend won't get anything because uh, they're not in the list of the family members uh, under the law that would have the right to be a distributee of the estate. So uh, that's the most common problem, one of the most common problems uh, that you see all of the time. Because of the recent liberalization of the laws on gay marriage, some of that those problems have been alleviated because what would happen is, in the example I gave, folks who were you know, very close together, couldn't get married. And if they didn't do a will, the partner who survived wouldn't have a right to the estate. Now, when you're married, even if there is no will, then you would have a right to inherit the estate as a surviving spouse. But there are, you know, many, many, many types of situations where that situation still doesn't arise and people can just be good friends or not want to get married. So that's really the most important thing to consider. Uh, you know, there are ways to get around it. You can have joint accounts. You can have beneficiary accounts. You can have beneficiaries on life insurance and pensions and all of that. But many times people don't do that or they just forget about it or their beneficiary designations are people who they did many years ago who are deceased. That's really, you know, something that everyone should think about. Jules, what are some other really bad common mistakes you see people making with their estate planning or lack of estate planning? I'd say another very common problem is that people don't understand the way property ownership works. 
So as I said at the beginning, when you have a will, a will is going to control assets that are in your name alone. So if you have a bank account and it's in your, just your name, John Doe, the will is going to say where that asset goes. However, if you have assets that are held jointly or have a designated beneficiary, such as a life insurance policy or an IRA, those assets are going to go automatically to that person, generally regardless of what a will says. What ends up happening is that people don't remember or think about who they put on these assets. And so take the example of someone who writes a will and they say, I leave everything equally to my two children. But what happens is that child A lives in California. The decedent, all right, lives in New York and the other child lives in New York. And so the decedent, while they were alive, because their other child lives in New York, they're getting older, they can't go to the bank. They say, look, you know, why don't I do this? I'm going to put you on my bank account and my other stuff so you can help me, all right? And then when I die, I'm sure, you know, I have my will, so everything's going to work out just fine. Well, lo and behold, the person dies. The one child in New York is on the bank account, right? They're the joint donor. Everything goes to them. And the child... And, and the will is ineffective because it can't transfer those assets that go automatically to the child in New York. Then the child in California turns around and says, listen, you know, mom and dad didn't really intend this. They wrote the will this way. And then the child in New York says, hey, you were out there in California getting a suntan, but I was here in New York taking care of mom and dad. So I deserve to have this money. I'm not giving you anything. And there you go. And the next step is they come to me as a lawyer and say, help me. So that's the most important thing. People do not recognize what they're doing when they're creating assets, ownership, and creating a will. Yeah, you mentioned a really good point about retirement accounts. So many of us either do not designate a beneficiary or we set it up, but then forget it. And maybe things happen. We get married, we get divorced, have kids, things in our lives change, but we forget to go back and change those account beneficiaries. So what's what are some tips there to help people figure out, you know, what they need to go back and change and and what they don't. Um, as you mentioned, the uh, the retirement accounts, in, in most cases, I believe, are separate from the will. Is that correct? They supersede in most cases. So that's going to stand up no matter what your will says. Exactly. So what I would um, suggest as as a primary step is to sit down and make an inventory of all of your assets and understand who the owners or beneficiaries are of those assets. So like you mentioned, you know, you've got an IRA or a pension from your job or something you set up 20 years ago. Go back to the source and say, hey, who's the beneficiary on this account? Sometimes there may be none. Sometimes there may be somebody that is deceased. Sometimes it may be somebody that you no longer want them to benefit from. Uh, so you, you have to make an inventory, and then once you've made that inventory, uh, you can have a complete discussion with a professional, whether it's a lawyer or whoever, 
and make the changes that you want so that the assets will ultimately get to who you want them to go to. That would be your primary step in understanding what you have and how it will uh, be transferred if something happens to you. Great. And let's say someone is thinking, well, I'm, I'm not sure if I need a trust and maybe, you know, maybe they don't even have a will set up. What are some of the just basic documents that you recommend everyone have? Okay. The basic documents obviously are will. Uh, you should have what we call here in New York, um, a healthcare proxy which is basically, and I'm sure they have the variation on the theme in most states, which is basically a document that uh, designates somebody to make health care decisions for you if you can't make them for yourself. Uh, you, you can have a living will, which is, again, in New York, a document that says that you don't want life support if that's your intent. Um, you can have a living trust if your desire is to avoid probate for various reasons and create that trust during your, during your life. You can also have a power of attorney. Let's say someone is really behind on getting all of these documents together, and they're just thinking about it right now. How do they find a really good attorney to help them with all these documents that isn't going to charge an arm and a leg? First of all, you know, they should do their research and look for someone that they feel is going to provide them with the uh, information and the services that they want. And there are many ways of doing that. Um, obviously, personal recommendations are always good things. Nowadays, the Internet also is a good source. I mean, I'll say that just because um, I speak to a lot of people who come to my website, which is hundreds of pages long and has... It's just chock full of information about wills and estates and all sorts of things that relate to that. I write a blog every week called the New York Probate Lawyer Blog, and I discuss various cases and issues that arise in a very simple way. And I get calls very often uh, from folks uh, that say, oh, you know what, uh, maybe you can help me with this problem. I just, you know, I read your blog and, you know, you talked about the same uh, type of situation that I have in this estate or a probate issue that, you know, can you help me probate this will and I'm having this, this issue. So there are many different ways. And then, of course, you know, you make a determination as to who you want to speak to and meet with them and, and then go forward. One thing that I do want to say, and, you know, you asked me about fees, but I think that it's important that uh, folks should assess the cost-benefit of what they're doing and not go down the road of trying to save a dollar when they're involved with trying to prepare their estate plan. As simple as they think it may be, it really isn't. And I know nowadays, you know, you can go on various websites and get forms and other things. My experience has been, and it's not, you know, an across-the-board thing, and I'm not saying it just because I'm a lawyer and I you know, get paid for what I do and clients pay me a fee, is that when people start to write their own wills and they don't consider the issues that may be confronting them, they're putting at risk the plan that they actually want to put into place. So, you know, I've seen situations where people write a will and then they sign it and then they go and get it notarized. Well, in New York, 
that's not a valid will. It has to be signed in a certain way and witnessed in a certain way for it to be valid so it can be admitted to probate. You know, there may be situations where, fine, it turns out just fine, and I'm not saying, you know, you can't do it. What I'm, all I'm saying is that you really need to think about and make an assessment that if I want my estate to go in a certain way and I want to make sure that's the case, maybe I want to invest the additional time and effort and cost to be closer to certainty that things will turn out the way I want. But again, that's an individual choice. Uh, Everybody can make that assessment for themselves. Yeah, we're talking about very important issues and decisions. And when it comes to the law, we don't know what we don't know. And that's why people go to law school for a long time and specialize in areas uh, because it goes very deep uh, in, in what we need to know. So it's definitely an area where we need to rely on professionals and get the help that we need. And I think if you do it right to, from the beginning, it's one of those things that, you know, you can kind of set it and forget it. As your life changes, you you certainly will want to review those documents. But if you've got something that's good and it's in place for you, it will give you a lot of confidence that no matter what happens, as Jules said, your wishes for your life and for your estate and your family will actually turn out the way you want them to. Otherwise, you don't really know what's going to happen. So I I definitely agree it's worth investing to get good advice. So Jules, tell everyone where they can find you if they're looking to learn more and get some questions answered. Well, as I said, my office is in Midtown Manhattan. Um, My phone number is uh, 212-355-2575. My website is juleshaasattorney.com. If you go into Google and you just type in my name, Jules, J-U-L-E-S, Haas, H-A-A-S, attorney, you're going to get right to my website. My blog is uh, New York Probate Lawyer Blog, and once you type in my name or you get to my website, you'll be able to navigate throughout the site to all the different issues that, you know, that you may... Uh, want to read about. And then, obviously, you can call me. Once you see my site, you'll see it says right up front, free consultation. So I get calls all the time, people calling me up saying, listen, I have a problem with this, I have a problem with that, and I will listen to what you have to say, and I will tell you whether or not I think it's something that I can help you with. Many times it's not, and people need to sort of ask that question and sort of get some direction as to where to go. Um, But if it is something that I can assist with, I will be happy to talk to you about and meet with you uh, with no obligation and then um, decide whether or not uh, it's something that, that we can go forward with. Terrific. Thank you so much for sharing your expertise with us today. Okay. Well, you're very welcome. And again, thank you. I hope you enjoyed this interview and now understand a little bit more about trusts. I know it's a complex topic, but if you answer yes to any of the following questions, creating a trust may be right for your situation. So number one, do you have a family member with a disability who may need future financial help after your death? Number two, do you have heirs who you believe would not manage an inheritance responsibly? Number three, Do you have children and believe that your spouse would remarry after your death? 
Number four, do you want to be sure that your assets go directly to your heirs right away and avoid the public probate process? And five, would you like a charity or perhaps grandchildren to receive your assets once you're gone? The bottom line is that you owe it to your significant other, spouse, children, and any other close family members to have your legal affairs in order. It might be one of the best gifts you can leave behind. But if you haven't made necessary arrangements, your death could be a major financial burden on your family. I hope this expert interview will be a bit of a wake-up call to everyone who does not have a will or other critical documents that we discussed. I know it takes time and money to set up these documents, but once it's done, it's done. You'll have so much peace of mind that you're finally protecting yourself and your family the right way. So if you haven't set up these necessary legal documents, I challenge you not to let another month go by without getting your affairs in order. If you're enjoying the show, be sure to share it and also subscribe so you get every episode the moment it's released. It's free to subscribe on any app of your choice, like iTunes, Stitcher, and if you're on Android, try out Podcast Addict or Beyond Pod. Money Girl is also on the Spotify mobile app. To keep the money conversation going with a terrific community, join my private Facebook group called Dominate Your Dollars. To request your invitation, visit Dominate Your Dollars on Facebook or send me a text message for immediate access. Just text the word DOLLARS, D-O-L-L-A-R-S. Right now, text that to the number 33444. I hope to see you in the group. You can also visit lauradadams.com to email me your money question or visit my recommended tools page. That's all for now. I'll talk to you next week, courtesy of Money Girl, your guide to a richer life. Experience the joy of running in the new Triumph 22 from Saucony, the original running brand. Stacked with luxury foam cushioning, Triumph 22 turns miles into smiles with the ultimate blend of comfort and energy return. Shop Triumph 22 at Saucony.com. That's S-A-U-C-O-N-Y dot com. Earning your degree online doesn't mean you have to go about it alone. At Capella University, we're here to support you when you're ready. From enrollment counselors who get to know you and your goals... To academic coaches who can help you form a plan to stay on track. We care about your success and are dedicated to helping you pursue your goals. Going back to school is a big step, but having support at every step of your academic journey can make a big difference. Imagine your future differently at capella.edu.